Welcome to the Property CEO Podcast, your inside track to the world of property with your hosts, Ian Child and Richie Clapson. Hello and welcome to the Property CEO Podcast. My name is Ian Child and I'm here with Mr. Richie Clapson. Hello everyone. And in this episode, we're delighted to welcome the rather wonderful Heather Gattrell from HGI Insurance to the studio. Hello, Heather. Hello and thank you for allowing me to be part of this. Well, no, big warm welcome to the no, podcast. Not accepting that. What's that? Well, that is not the introduction that we want from Heather that we normally get. Oh. That's true. No, no, there's more to it. There's more to it. But I don't think you're allowed to introduce Heather. You have to say we have a special guest. So Heather likes to introduce herself because she has a catchphrase. Oh. Is this like the riders you get in like bands having Oh, yes. Yeah, so that was that was sent in. Yeah, she only wanted uh-huh. blue M&Ms and to be able to do her own introduction and catchphrase. Was she the one with the, the vodka in the dressing room? She was, yes. Right. Oh, yes. Which is now gone. Oh, no. Not vodka. Okay. Pims, maybe. Pims. So you need to introduce Wait, I think you just need to say something like we have a special guest. Uh, today, uh, who is, and then Heather will take over. Would that be okay? Would you take over from that point? I would take over. Yeah. Okay. Three, two, on, one. Hello, and welcome to the Property CEO Podcast. Today we have a very special guest who needs no introduction, and she is. Ta-da! I'm Heather from HGI, ensuring your property world. Look at there that! Eh? Fantastic. <laughs> very impressive. I love it. So, Heather, what are you going to be talking about today? What, are, what uh, insurance, insight? I would have thought. Insurance? You think it's going to be insurance? <laughs> My specialist subject, insurance. But I gather you're going to be taking us through some of the things that uh, the property people get wrong when it comes to, uh, to insurance. Is that right? What I'm trying to do is help people understand what we need as insurance brokers. So, you know, I don't like to use the word wrong, but um, it's more to give them an understanding of what we need to get the best results for them. Fantastic. Look forward to that. And I'm quite excited as well, because, again, is another guest that we've got on the podcast uh, who goes back some way with Richie. So uh, so you and Richie have known each other what, quite a few years yeah, a few years I've now, never met it? her in my life before. <laughs> and presumably, um, you were brought together by a, a shared passion uh, in insurance documentation. Is that is that fair but to say? It's definitely my passion. I'm not so sure about Richie. Oh, no, no, I love insurance documents. I mean, you give me a good insurance document to read. I mean, that keeps me quiet all weekend. Mm-hmm. I like that. I mean, I had the choice the other week of going to, uh, to a car show or reading an insurance document. And to be honest, I took the insurance document. Yeah. Read it three or four times. Fantastic. Made some notes. It's really good. <laughs> Yeah, that, that, that didn't happen, did no, it? No, that didn't happen no. at all. So no. one of the things I've worked out with Richie, actually, is that um, we divide the labour when mm-hmm. it comes to reviewing documentation, and it's split pretty evenly down the middle. Uh, words on one side, pictures on the other. And the insurance documents generally that you've given us mm, don't have any pictures. So guess Well, that's who... where they go wrong. Oh, you, you think? pictures. That would, that would revolutionise the insurance world, wouldn't it? But you see, I do, I make special consideration whenever I'm doing a presentation that I know Richie's going to be part of, I always include pictures. Pictures are great. Well, you dumb it down a bit, is what you're saying. No, 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 I just like that visual. We, 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 we accommodate every, everybody's uh, need for information. I can read, are I can read. Sure? Oh, really? But I have a short attention span. So right. an insurance document is not a particularly great read. I know it's probably necessary... And I know, as Heather often says, she gives me something. She says, OK, have you understood that and read it? OK, well, I've understood it, but I haven't read it. And then I look at Heather and say, look, is it OK to sign? <laughs> and then Heather's got to decide whether she's giving me advice or not giving me advice. But that's what I want. I want someone to give me some, some advice. And I know you offer two services like that. So I want, a, I want advice. And then I want someone to say, yeah, you can sign that. I'll have a scan through, but I don't want to read it in detail. I mean, 
There's more interesting things to do in life, isn't there? Other than being insur- involved in insurance. Well, or I, not. Don't know. I don't know, really. Well, insurance is my life. And you're right, we do have two levels of service. And the reason for that is some people are happy reading stuff and other people don't want to. And then there's Richie. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I always have to say to everybody, whatever level of service, please read your policy documents. It is really mm. important that you understand what you're covered for. Ah, I used to, but I did understand it, but I didn't read it. Well, there you go. So that is that okay if you understand it but don't read it? Well, I don't see how you can understand it if you don't read it, but I'll give it better than not reading it and no, I can't I'm confused now. You, well, how, well, you to... well that's not that difficult, is it? <laughs> so someone that reads a lot, he gets confused. Yeah, <laughs> you to want you. to stop that reading and just look at the pictures, it's far less confusing. And then just say, Yeah, I understand it, it's okay. <laughs> but you've got a lot of experience generally with insurance documents. You know, you've been around quite a while now, haven't you? <laughs> Actually, yeah. Because I remember you telling me when um Well, you... I've been around a long time. Yeah, well you weren't you there when they when they formed Lloyd's of London? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The first marine <laughs> you, policy. You were in a cult. Shop, I helped build the Berlin Wall. They, I was <laughs> let know when it come down. <laughs> where did you guys meet then? What was the, what was the story? Oh, hang on, that's a whole other story. I'm not prepared to talk about that this evening. <laughs> Don't you tarnish my reputation. <laughs> <laughs> so come on then, I'm, I'm intrigued. It, it was a property network. I won't mention so names, but, but right. we, we visit several um, property networks and they in the local area and all the ones I've been to, I've always had a brilliant time and they've always been really informative. So I'm a big advocate of ne- networks, mm-hmm. although maybe some of the downsides of meeting certain people, but you know. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I think, I do remember it. I mean, I think uh, we were at this network meeting. I think you were probably on one side of the room. I was on the other. Wow. Was and there I, soft music I, playing in the background? That music was playing. <laughs> the lights were down low and our eyes met and I thought, Wow, insurance. Yes, <laughs> I've got to speak to Heather. And then she went, da-da, da-da-da-da-da. Heather, insuring your property world. And I thought, oh, if any, I've never met an insurance broker that's got a catchphrase. So <laughs> they've got to be my kind of person, so I can, I can deal with her. Uh, Heather, before we start, it's probably worth just mentioning that, of course, you can't give people advice directly. So what's the situation there as a as an insurance professional you're saying people need to go and get their own advice from their own broker is that is that right yes um as a broker obviously we we tend to work on a bespoke basis with all of our clients so if a client comes to us and they have an insurance need then we'll work with them understand what their needs are and then we'll offer them quotes to um, meet those needs and anybody who is insuring a property they need to make sure that whoever they select as their broker they, they talk to them and it will be their broker that will be guiding them and, and helping them with that insurance. So anything I say here today is really meant to be just an overview, helpful guidance, you know, just something to a thinking point, a talking point, um, just as something that, that might be helpful and help people understand what, what they may be talking to their own brokers or even to me about. Fantastic. Great stuff. OK, so shall we get down to brass tacks about insurance? Um, where would you like to start, Heather? We, we, we said that basically today's all about things that people generally, well, they could do better when it comes to insurance. And perhaps they don't actually know uh, that some of these problems actually exist and are affecting them. So where would be a good place to start? What's one of the most common things that you come across that people could do better? I think the first thing is the lack of understanding on the importance of gathering information I've actually had a client come to me before and give me a postcode and an address and say, I need to insure that today, which with the best will in the world, and I did actually achieve it, 
it doesn't make life easy when you don't have the right information. And usually those sort of calls happen at you know mid-afternoon on a Friday. And generally, commercial insurance companies, they tend to work Monday to Friday, nine to five. So, right. you know, business has to be done within those periods of time. And whilst brokers want to be as helpful and, and as willing as possible, there's only so much we can do. And it's not our obligation to find information out. It's the client's obligation to provide the information to us. And it has to be what the insurers would term a fair presentation of the risk, which means it has to give them all the information they need to rate it properly and to know what risk they're actually taking on. So, things- so you're saying someone's just literally given you a postcode and an address Yes. And nothing else? Nothing else. Not wow. told you it's a three-storey this or it's an old warehouse that or whatever? No, just came through on an email. Uh, I've bought this property today. Can you insure it for me? <laughs> <laughs> now, see, even I would give you more detail than that. You would, yeah. absolutely. You, you get pictures. <laughs> yeah, pictures. Hey. But wow. insurance is like the last thought. Mm. And it really needs to be within the the initial phase of the process of what people do from the time that they put their offer in and it's accepted. So, yeah, you don't want to get an insurance quote immediately because quotes are only valid for 30 days. But you need to factor in that your broker may need time, especially if it's an unoccupied property or a commercial property or a property with, you know, unique features. It may be something that not every insurer would be interested in. So Mm. that's part of the skill of the broker is to know which insurers would be interested in, you know, more unique risks. And obviously to give them time to, to give... To give the presentation to the insurers, to negotiate, to get the very best deal with the broadest cover. Because if you if you limit them on time, they may only have limited options because insurers need to factor into their days, their workload. You know, they aren't just sat there waiting for everybody to throw in their quotes on a daily basis. They, they've got massive workloads, the same yeah. as you and I have. I guess the downside there is, of course, as a, from the customer's perspective, it, it narrows their option. They're likely to get a more expensive quote because they'll get possibly the first quote or maybe the quote that's loaded because they don't have that detail. Whereas a bit more time uh, gives the broker more of an opportunity to, to go around the market and find a, a better deal. Absolutely. And, you know, time is relative. So, you know, the fact that if we can do things there and then if, if necessary, but we are better to have the time to approach a number of insurers or put it into our various portals that give us mm. quotations. Because it's not just about getting a quote, it's about me assessing it to make sure that what you've asked for is what they've quoted for. Because I don't know, do you ever do quotes online for like your car insurance and stuff like that? Yeah. So he what doesn't you insure his car. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll definitely be editing that bit. <laughs> <laughs> so what you put in to this quote engine when you do it online, you're telling them what you want. Yeah. What they give you is what they're prepared to offer. That's not necessarily the same thing. So you might say, I want £100 excess for my car insurance, and they'll come back and say, well, we'll give you a £500 excess. And that's made up of a voluntary and a compulsory. And if you don't check the documentation, you'll be landed with a whopping great excess that you didn't think you had because you've asked them for one thing and they've offered you something something else. else. But if you accept that offer, it's a legally binding contract. And I'm guessing for you right at the beginning, if someone literally just gives you a postcode and an address and then asking you to interpret it, I mean, you're you're an insurance broker, you know development extremely well but you're not a developer 24 7 so actually you're having to interpret it which is crazy because we should interpret and tell you what we've got what it is we want insured what the type of makeup is and so on with you trying to do that understanding it you're second guessing it 
So actually, the quote you might give us is not relevant to what we've actually tried to ensure, potentially. We, we can't do that because we don't actually know what that's going to be used for. So we yeah. can't actually fulfil the obligations that we have to the insurer of providing that fair presentation of the risk. So if, the, if we don't get that information, we, we simply can't get the quote. This, this term you just, I think, used a couple of times, fair uh, presentation of the risks. What does that mean to us as developers then? How, how do we interpret that, that as information we need to give you? Well, there's some things that, that are absolutely essential to get in a quote. So things like the year of construction. It doesn't have to be an exact, you know, 1942, but it, we need to know it's an 19... Other years are available. It doesn't have well, to be. Well, <laughs> you can say 1940s, but if you say 1940s and it's, a you know, an 1840s, the construction of the property may be different. It may have different style of windows. It may be grade two listed. Do you know what I mean? We can't make those assumptions. We don't know. You're the one yep. buying the property. You're the one that's having all the searches done. We have the knowledge. You have mm. the knowledge. Yeah, yeah. And you have to impart that. So that's what we brokers are asking you to do. Tell us about what it is you're buying and then we'll fit a policy around that to, to make sure that that's insured properly for you. But not just on the strength of what it is, what you plan to do with it. Because... Yeah, we've got some clients that come to us and they say, we've bought this property, but we're going to knock it down. Well, whilst it still has a value, if you don't get the planning permission, it actually has no value because you're going to knock it down. Some insurers will put on a clause that they'll insure the building until planning for destruction is, is actually agreed. So the moment you get planning permission for it to be demolished, that's when they're not prepared to offer buildings insurance cover anymore. So if you don't tell an insurer that your plan is to demolish it, then then the, all those factors that I've just explained yes. can't be taken into account by the insurer when they're preparing their terms for your quote. Yeah. Which yeah. means, is there actually a meeting of minds? Is there a contract in place? Because, you know, if they don't really understand what they're insuring and you haven't told them everything... You know, that's and that's when you get problems with claims. Which do you find do you find there maybe some developers think, oh, I won't tell them that because that's going to be make it difficult. But of course, unless you disclose everything, and and then you say you get a claim, there'll be a problem on on claiming on insurance because it's, all the information has not been passed across. But that's the exact definition of material fact. Yeah. If mm-hmm. you think it would affect an underwriter's perception of the risk, you must declare it, and that is something that is so important. And that's you know. I, I t- you'll hear the word important an awful lot. I use that a lot. I'll get fed up with the word important. I mean, I, I think we've only been, we've only been on the air about fifteen minutes, and uh, I've written it down. Hang on, to, to, to two thousand seven hundred and forty-one times. But it is important, though. It is absolutely because if you if you haven't got if your insurer doesn't understand what they've what they've insured, and you have failed to give a fair presentation of the risk, then in the event of a claim, that is when questions will be asked. Because the first question any insurer asks when they're looking at a claim is, are you entitled to indemnity? And indemnity being the payment of a claim. Mm. So if they can't answer that question yes at the outset, that's when the the claims investigations get into the the realms of, well, what was declared? Who told us what? How did that happen? You know, has there been a non-disclosure of material facts? I think one of the things that a lot of people have a challenge with on insurance is, of course, that you can pay money out and have a business. Uh, for insurance over many years and never make a claim and then uh, a voice inside your head says well it's a kind of necessary it was a bit of a waste of money these things never happen I want to make it as cheap as possible and of course the reality is and I know firsthand when when you do have a claim you are so thankful that it's there and that you've actually 
you know, it, the, the cover is in place. It can make a massive difference. Um, but you, you've got to take the rough with the smooth and be up front with all the facts out of the box, haven't you? Would it, would it be fair as well, Heather, that you say this the material facts? So as a developer, and okay, we, we joke about my interest in insurance and so on, but there's a lot of things that we'd look at it and think, well, I don't know if that's a material fact or not, but that's where your broker comes in, isn't it? If you've got a good yeah. relationship with a broker, someone like yourself, we just we tell you everything. Even if we think it's not important, you can determine whether it is important or not important. We can certainly guide our clients about it. And if in doubt, I would say always declare it. Yeah. Because if you fail to declare it, then you've got the risk of a non-disclosure matter being the issue. Whereas if you declare it and it's not an issue, then it hasn't affected anything. Yeah. yeah. You know, if you've declared it, it's on the records. It's, it, you know, the insurers can't say that they didn't know about it. And the fact that maybe one underwriter might look at it, because a lot of the time this is done by people, you know, this is not a computer generated thing. And course, particularly yeah. with the bigger developments, yes. you get people sat at their desk with an underwriting criteria and it may be you've got an extremely experienced underwriter that looks at it and says, well, yeah, that's what I would expect for this type of property. Or So some of it is interpretive from the experience of the underwriter. And we're very fortunate. We've got some fantastic underwriters for developments, um, all very experienced and with really good quality insurers. And I think that's, you know, that's the issue. You've got good quality insurers with knowledgeable underwriters. So the risks get underwritten effectively, whereas if you if you've got people that may be new into the market or you're dealing with brokers maybe that don't really know the that market particularly well you may not you get any good best... do you know the market i'm oh, fantastic fantastic because <laughs> you've, you've you've been doing it longer than i've been alive <laughs> not that long it's only 30 years i've been in the industry. how many 30 years 30 years wow. I've been one would assume broker. that heather knows a little bit about uh, insuring developments and property <laughs> you mentioned earlier um the the getting the reinstatement value i think you, t- you touched yes. on that very briefly uh, and I, I think you were alluding to the fact that sometimes as developers, we don't always tell you and we we think you're going to work that out. What, what's your concerns <laughs> with that? You're laughing now. Is that what we do? Oh, yeah, all the time. Um, so I, if anybody has seen me speak at any networking event, you'll know that the reinstatement value, the building sum insured is one of the things I consistently talk about. And the reason She's is... She's getting wound up now. No, I'm not. But it's so important. Come on, get it off your chest. Come on. Thank you. Thank you. No, so the rebuilding cost is obviously the cost that it would be to reinstate the property in the event that it was completely burned down. Now, the likelihood of a total loss, as we would refer to it, is obviously there, but not as great as a partial loss. But it doesn't it doesn't negate the need for the reinstatement value to be right just because it's more likely to be a partial loss because insurers will look at the building. They won't look at the fact that one wall's fallen down and is the money enough to replace that one wall. They'll look at, well, if the whole thing had burned down, is this sum insured enough to rebuild it? Because that's what it is. It's a rebuilding, not, yep. not partial loss. Anyway, so so the thing that I tend to find is people come in with absolutely no experience of being a surveyor because building surveyors are who, the people that dictate that need to, to give you this value of reinstatement they do yeah. yeah so if you have any surveys done or you've got a mortgage surveyor involved usually they will give you a building's reinstatement value for insurance purposes and that's great because they're the experts they're the ones that know their business and they're telling you that's what you should insure it for but if you're not going to use those services sticking a finger in the air and saying well I'm buying it for x so it must be y is not the right way for it to be done. And actually, there's some really cost-effective ways of of obtaining a sum insured. There's um, uh, websites that will do 
desktop surveys and I can always supply those um, details to anybody who's interested in that and some of those they're about 150 quid to get a quote for a domestic property that they're going to use for buy to let and is that good enough then for you for insurance purposes that valuation over these website type yeah not all insurers accept them but the majority of the bigger insurers in particular particular of these desktop um, surveys they'll accept that and then if you've had that done and you've relied on that then I mean, within the insurance policies, there's something called the clause of average. Now, that doesn't always apply nowadays because of the, the new Insurance Act and this fair presentation of the risk. But if you do have an average clause and you've had a building survey and you've relied on that, then they will generally allow that to be the basis. And then, then obviously, if the, the people that have done that, then you'd have right of recourse against them if they got it wrong. But it's not likely, to, you know, most of the time they're, they're really good at their, their job because you wouldn't pay them for of it course, otherwise. Yeah. So as a, let's say, a new developer getting, in, getting into the industry... Um, as you say, we wouldn't necessarily understand as a new developer what this reinstatement value is or how to calculate it. But, of course, if we're borrowing some money, commercial money, to do that, there will be a valuation, an RICS valuation somewhere. So that would be the sort of thing you would better use. But not all ins- not all mortgage or lender surveys will give a reinstatement value for insurance purposes. OK, so do you need them to qualify? So all developers would need to come to you with this uh, reinstatement value for insurance purposes. Yes. So... Our mortgage company may not provide that, but let's say we're a new developer and we say, well, we haven't got that, or we're buying it cash, so we don't need that. If someone came to you as a broker, presumably you could point them into in the direction of a professional that could go and give them that reinstatement value. I can, certainly. Like I say, the desktop ones are a very cost-effective way of doing it. Okay, so so that I think is important, that we need to get that, that value sorted. And, and most insurance brokers should better point you in the direction of, oh, go and see these people, they will give you that number if you haven't got it, because you do need it. Can I just ask, in terms of when you should insure, because if you're buying a new property, you insure at exchange, do insure at completion, when do you involve uh, your insurance broker? When does the cover start? Okay, so you need to get your quote first. The quotes are usually valid for 30 days, some are 45 days, some are 60 days. So exchange is one of your key dates. Um, so when you know you've got an exchange date, that's when you really need to be starting to look around. Um, but you need you need to give yourself a good two, three weeks in advance of when you think you're going to need the cover to get the quote. So okay. having got the quote, if you don't have any tenants in there, because usually if you've got a tenant, there is an obligation on the landlord to maintain insurance. Um, so if you've got a landlord or a property with a landlord and they have tenants, then they will need to insure it until completion because that's when their ownership of the property is finished. So if you've got tenants, it's likely, but your solicitor should guide you anyway in that regard. But if in doubt, exchange, because you do become legally responsible for that property at that, at that time. Yeah, right. so the exchange is when you have a legal obligation within that property alongside an existing owner. So you both could be legally liable in the event of somebody getting in the property okay. and injuring themselves. Yeah, makes sense. And another thing that's quite interesting for me is what happens, you know, if you've got a property as a landlord and it's insured and then circumstances change and not everybody remembers to tell their insurance broker or their insurance company uh, that there's been a change. What are the sort of things, the sort of changes that can happen to a landlord that would mean they need to contact their uh, their insurer to let them know? There's a variety of things. So obviously from a developer perspective, if you're going to do any development, so if you're going to do any extensions or anything like that, you need to notify your underwriter because they may want to apply clauses to the policy or they may want to reduce the cover or they may not even be willing to to offer 
the policy anymore. They might, they might want to stop the policy and you have to go somewhere else to get Possibly. it reinsured. Possibly. I mean, that would be rather extreme, but it depends on what you're going to do and how you're going to do it and what sort of property you've got. But I think that's one of the, the key issues because if your insurer cancels your policy, that then becomes a material fact in itself that you must declare to all future insurers. That you've had a cancelled policy, yeah. Yes, or yeah. if they've imp- imp- applied special terms and conditions. Yep. So... Um, you need to be careful of that. But most insurers, if you're going to do a bit of maintenance or you're going to do a bit of alteration, shouldn't be a problem, but they will add clauses, um, possibly. So, you know, things like alterations, maintenance, change of tenants is, is a biggie. Because tenant type? Tenant or? type, yeah. Oh, okay. You know, a lot of people are moving from the buy-to-let space into serviced accommodation. Well, that's short-term letting, mm. and there's a lot of insurers that won't accommodate that type yeah. of use. So that's when you might have to stop one policy and start another one. Absolutely. Yep. Um, but you definitely need to uh, notify your insurer about that. And then the thing is, is again, if they decide that they don't want to write that risk, if you say, oh, I did that yesterday, I've changed to, you know, my first guest moved in yesterday, then they could come off cover immediately. And then, then you're left without insurance because it's been a change of the risk. Yeah. So this is why you need to do things in advance. If you're planning to change from buy-to-let into SA, then you need to make sure that you've got you know, the questions asked and the, the answers so that you can make sure that if they aren't willing to do it, you have your alternative policy in place and then you cancel the policy. Because if you cancel the policy, there's nothing to declare future-wise because all you're doing then is taking, you know, sort of saying this is what I'd like to do and they're saying well actually no thank you and then you're going right okay well if I want to do it I need to be insured elsewhere so that's what you do you go and choose your insurance elsewhere from the date that your SA is going to be operative from and cancel your existing policy. That's interesting what you said there there's quite a subtlety to that but as you say if you don't think ahead and then your insurance company cancel your policy you have to declare it and that's a negative for for you as opposed to actually if you'd only thought ahead you wouldn't have yeah, that negative right. mark against you. That's yeah, a very interesting yeah. point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Probably one of the final questions I had today was just about the role of the broker because I think quite often, as we said, we're all busy people. Insurance is one of the things that we've got to think about and quite often it's not necessarily the first thing we think about. And the broker does a lot of the hard work behind the scenes in get, making it all happen. Uh, what, in your opinion, Heather, is the, the mark of a good broker and, and how, does a, how do you go about getting a good broker? Word of mouth is always a good thing. So if you've got friends that are developers or landlords or whatever, you know, whoever they use is often a, a good way of, of getting a good recommendation. I think if you, you know, I'm out on the circuit all the time speaking, you know, out doing networks, I'm doing conference speeches and things like that. So I'm out there trying to help people understand what the needs of, of brokers, insurers are so that they have the opportunity to get it right. So I think if you've got somebody out there who's proactively explaining things you know I, I don't get paid for all the stuff I do I do it because I want people to understand how to do she's it she's a well. rubbish presenter so no one will pay her that's for sure <laughs> no <laughs> I'm fantastic at that too yeah <laughs> <laughs> no but you know I do it because I think it's really really important yeah. again um the people get it right and you know the whole thing about insurance is that you pay your premium you give them the right information and then in the event of a claim it gets paid. I've been in this industry 30 years and I've been honing my skills to make sure I understand my client's business, make sure we present it well. And the reason I've been doing that is because in the event of a claim, that's the only time when you know that your insurance is any good. You've done a good job, yeah. So, you know, having it pay out quickly and efficiently is the mark of a good broker 
But hopefully most people would never experience that because we don't want people having claims because it's, it is a hassle. It doesn't matter whichever, yeah. however good the policy is and however good the loss adjuster and the broker is, claims are always a hassle. You, you have to get information, you have to get involved. And, you know, that's something that is a natural part of it. But if you do have a claim, it should be how quickly can it get paid, not does it get paid? I, I found before in a completely different industry when I owned another company and we had, a, we had an issue we had to claim and we had a broker who, again, had a great personal relationship with and she uh, she didn't have a catchphrase, funny enough, I'm thinking about it now, but anyway, mm. she, uh, the mark of what I thought of a good broker was someone who really helped us out when the claim happened. So when the problems occurred... Mm. She was on it and, and very proactive. Yeah, I think the insurance was right because we got a payout, but actually she just helped the whole process go through. So I could still run the business and she looked after that side. So I think that's a mark of a good broker as well. It, yeah, I, the insurers have taken a lot of that away from us nowadays. Mm. They have like these direct reporting portals that, you know, you can either do it online or you can do it by email or you can do it directly with the insurer and that that is to expedite things because essentially if you've got a serious loss you want to get to the heart of where the, the matter is going to be dealt with and get the claim moving yeah. straight away and if a loss adjuster has to be appointed you know we've, we've been involved in that and made sure that loss adjusters are appointed you know same day next day yeah we've had claims over christmas and boxing day that we've we've got up and galvanized into action for ourselves so we make sure that if something happens and we get a call that says you know it's christmas day and we're underwater well we jump into action and we get onto it but you know sometimes the insurers take it out of our hands so you may have to report it yourself but we're still there to hold your hand. We're still there That's to guide like. you, yeah. you know. And, and if, if we're not happy with maybe the way things are going, I, I quite often go out on loss adjuster visits just to make sure I'm there to help the client, make sure that I, I actually hear what's being said. Because, you know, I understand insurance jargon. Not everybody understands insurance jargon. So if a loss adjuster happens to mention something or refer to policy conditions, I'm there to help guide and mm. explain that to the client so that they understand you know, the importance or, yeah. you know, how they've complied or whatever. So part of it is just to be there and help guide people through the process. And, and I think that's, a, that's a, a really interesting perspective and a role that quite often is just seen as a, a, a middle person, isn't it? Somebody in the middle that, that connects with the insurer and just comes up with your premiums. Mm. Actually, yeah, they're on your side guiding you through. The insurance p- part of the process, the claims, the sharp end when it actually happens. So, But not all brokers do do that. It's, no. it's, it's you know, mm. as a commercial broker, it's what we do. Yeah. Uh, like I say, sometimes the insurers have this sort of direct reporting thing, but it doesn't mean to say that I don't want to be involved. It's just that I'm allowing the process to work as effectively and efficiently mm. as possible, but at the same time keeping an eye on things and being there as a support element for, for the clients as and when they need me. Fantastic. Heather, thank you so much for coming today. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, if uh, if people wanted to get in touch with HGI and in touch with yourself, uh, do you work uh, just locally or are you working nationally? We work all over the country, so um, you know we're quite happy to hear from anybody wherever you are. We we ensure length and the breadth of the country. And uh, Heather's details will go in the show notes. But what's the best way for people to contact you for new uh, developers uh, to contact you? Email is always a good way to get in touch with us. Um, go on and give your email address. Our email address is mail at hgi-insurance.co.uk. We can have a chat if people need to call us. It's o two three eight zero. Six nine seven one one one. Milked that a bit. I just said, give me quick any contact details. There you go. Okay. <laughs> give an edge, take them all. I thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I suppose to finish off, we've got to let Heather do her uh, her big thing. Yeah, her big thing. Well, I'm not going to do the. the you, you just did, did it. it. <sighs> okay.
I'm Heather from HGI, ensuring your property world. Woo! Hey, well done. Heather, well done. An absolute pleasure to have you on. Thank you very uh, much. Well, I'm afraid that's all we've got time for for this episode. Join us again next time when we'll be giving you the inside track on another part of the property world. In the meantime, please feel free to check out our other episodes. And, of course, you can visit our website, which is at propertyceo.co.uk. But until next time, it's goodbye to all of us. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.